Hello, Christina. Hello. How are you? I'm doing swell. How are you? I am happy to see you. You it, too. It's been a couple months. We met at the Disney job in Orlando. That was quite an experience. It was so, yeah, it was such an experience. And honestly, like, I'm super excited to do this because, like, we had such great conversations and it's cool to re-experience that. So thank absolutely, you. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, you're a very creative person. I'm a fan of your work. <laughs> I appreciate that. That's so nice. You too. I mean, are you kidding me? Like, you're so talented, and this is, like, amazing. So, thank you. Uh, how do you feel when people compliment you? Um, <laughs> I'm uh, awkward. <laughs> like, I don't know how to take a compliment. So I was just like, nice. Okay, thanks. You too. You know? Right. It's so much easier to give a compliment than to take a compliment. Oh, my God. Yeah. No, 100%. It's like its own skill to be able to receive a compliment without reflecting one back. Yeah. You know, usually when people give me a compliment, I'm always like, oh, yeah, and you as well. And da, da, da. it's like, until I learned that it's possible to just receive one. And hmm. That is a skill that will take me many years to learn. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, can you tell us, for the people watching, in your own words, who are you and what is it that you do? Uh, yeah. So I'm Christina Shing, and I'm a director. Um, and... I make music videos, commercials, and films. How'd you get into that? That's a really good question, actually. Basically, I was pretty lucky. Uh, I started pretty young. Um, but I will say, like, in the beginning, I was a horrible student in school, throughout school. And basically, I turned to making films because, like, I had moved to Alabama and I was, like, the only Asian girl there and whatever. Like, it was around all white people. It was very difficult. And watching movies, I could feel like I was white. In my head, that's what I thought I was doing, but I didn't realize I was just experiencing stories. And then I realized that when you have like a film camera, like you can be whoever you want when you're filming things. Like it gives you confidence to talk to people. And inherently, I'm not really an extrovert. I'm kind of like a learned extrovert. That's what I, I like to call myself. And yeah, that's kind of how my journey started. I started making movies when I was very, very young, like 16, 14, whatever it was. And it kind of snowballed from there. What was uh, the first piece of like movie that inspired you? Do you remember? Was it one specific one that you saw? Ooh, I like that. I want to make movies. Do you have a memory like that? Yes, I do. What was it? There was three pictures that did that for me. But the first one was Singing in the Rain. And I was in fourth grade when I saw it with my grandparents on like a little VHS tape thingy. And uh, oh my gosh, when I saw that movie, I... It was so joyful and everything. I rewatched it that whole entire week over and over again. I'd borrow it from the library over and over again because I love like the musical numbers and the colors and like just like how happy it made me feel and my grandparents feel, even though there's like a language barrier even watching it. Yeah. And that kind of inspired me to make really colorful stuff. I was always interested in colors and almost like French New Wave Americana styled filmmaking. So, yeah. Uh, it's interesting that you call it picture. <laughs> you kept it classy. The picture. <laughs> well, you know why we'll go I do into that. the pictures. Why do you do that? So, long story, but basically, I met one of my heroes, Ed Lackman, in New York City. Who's that? He's a, a very famous DP. His most famous film is probably Carol of recently. Okay. And I met him, and he called movies pictures. And the way he described it, and the reason why he did, it was like so inspiring because honestly, 
it's it feels better than calling it a movie because a picture it is a picture like it's it's you know it's a it's a masterpiece yes and that's i kind of adapted that from him and the way he talks about himself as like a painter he compares himself to a painter as a dp so that's why he calls it a picture i like it it feels classier yeah it feels it feels nice it yeah feels... movie sounds commercialized right it sounds like a some fabricated thing but right. if you make it a film or a picture. <laughs> right. We're working on a picture. <laughs> on a picture. Yeah, I mean, plus on a, on a major movie, they call it principal photography, right? That's when true. they start making it, it's, they don't even call it filmy. They're not saying we're movie making, we're starting photography. That's so That's how true. they officially call it, right? I mean, a great video or film, you should be able to pause it at any frame, and it should be a great photo. A hundred percent. Right? Now, when you were a kid, you watched these, right? How old are you when you saw Singing in the Rain? I was in fourth grade. Fourth grade, okay. Did you have a camera? No, but I stole my mother's. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you were making like home movies or like, like, like filming behind the scenes stuff or were you trying to make narratives already as a kid? When I was a kid, I was making puppet movies. So I had like a bunch of uh, stuffed animals that I put onto strings and like little popsicle sticks. And I started out doing that because no one wanted to be in my movies. I was also a little kid, so whatever. <laughs> right. So I started filming those. And then eventually the puppet films became real people. Like my sister and my cousin were my films. And eventually that graduated into like having my friends, like teaching them how to do like sound and like teaching them like, you know, all the parts because like no one really wanted to make movies around me. How did you even learn what to do? Film Riot in YouTube. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So you had a camera, you were filming with the dolls at first, right? With the right. stick figures, and you were just watching YouTube tutorials. Yes. And then you, it started going from that to you bringing your friends and family into it. A hundred percent. And uh, at what point did you decide that it wasn't going to be a hobby, but it was going to be something real? So this is actually a kind of sad story, but I was not good in school. I was not good at math. I was not really, like, very academically promising. And I'd say, like, my sister, she, you know, she's getting her PhD right now, and she's very young. Um, so I kind of felt, like, really shit about myself because everyone else in my family seemed like they had it all together academically. And, you know, when you're young, like, that's what they teach you. They teach you that grades are important and following the rules are important. So my way of kind of rebelling against that was I, I became very rebellious and kind of cynical about all of that because I was like, fuck, if I'm not good at getting grades, then I just won't try at all. Right. And eventually, like, what that led to was I started making these films and, like, really, really getting into it. Like, I would not even focus on my homework. And when I go home from school, I would literally just edit videos. And yeah. my parents hated it at first, of course. They were like, what the fuck are you doing? Are you kidding? Like, what are you doing? And then that came from editing videos to make making YouTube videos to whatever. Eventually, I made, like, a real, like, movie movie. And my dad actually told my mom. He was like, well, I know you want her to be good at school, but she's just not. And she obviously doesn't care about it, so why don't we try something else? She wants to make movies. It looks like she wants to make movies, at least. And they started asking me if I want to submit to film festivals and things like that. And that's kind of how that started. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. That shift of realizing that um, your effort was showing up in filmmaking. You know, right. it's not that you didn't have the capability to put in effort. You just didn't care. Yeah. You know? It's so interesting. That reminds me of the quote that says, uh, you can't judge a fish by its ab ability to climb a tree. Right. Right? Like a fish is going to do what it's going to do. A bird is going to do what it's going to do, you know? And um, I don't think there's just one way of learning or one way of, of measuring education. Yeah. You know, because I was the same way. I wasn't a good student in school, but 
uh, I had mentors and I was working on videos you know, my early teens and these mentors gave me books like psychology books, success books and I read those things like a straight A student. Like I would like highlight them, I would make notes for myself just because I was like, oh, this is amazing. This is how you become successful, you know? 100%. But then when it came to school, I was like, I don't even know how I'm going to apply this stuff. It's my effort wasn't there, you know? I feel like the school system is failing massively in that department, mm-hmm. right? Because I think past a certain level, past uh, math, you know, and basic arithmetic, reading and writing, I think we should start playing with uh, passions earlier on. You know, I don't think it should be till after you graduate college that you realize what your job is going to be. You know, I think... 100%. You, you feel me? Right? Because, like, like you, I, I started so young. I was so into it. My parents saw that they wanted me to put an effort in something. Yeah. And at some point, they just realized that filmmaking was going to be it. So, for you, they made that realization. It shifted. Then what happened? I mean, to also jump off, you know, what you were saying, too, um, I think that people don't credit emotional intelligence enough either like there's iq and then there's eq right and i think that in the school system we're taught that like oh this kid has like bad grades like you know he's an idiot or they're an idiot and uh they're never gonna amount to anything they have wasted like wasted potential you know right and i would say that like a lot of people who become artists have very high eq they have a lot of emotional intelligence and empathy and awareness for people around them. Mm. And people in the school system, we don't really discuss that or learn things like that about that. And so a lot of people grow up very discouraged. And of course, if you're told constantly you're going to be shit, eventually you're just going to give up and not give a shit. Yeah. And I think that's really heartbreaking. And that's like a narrative that I think a lot of people feel. They feel burned out because if they're not this one shape of like what America's standard is of like the perfect student, the perfect daughter, the perfect son, the perfect whatever you are then fuck it. I guess I should just give up. Yeah. So. That needs to change. That's why I'm I'm glad you're sharing your story. You know? (laughs) I hope a lot of people see that there's not just one way of succeeding. That maybe the things that make us weird and feel out of place in one area is actually what makes us special in another. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah. So did you submit to a film festival? Yes. Okay. So part of that story, I started submitting to film festivals and then... I, at first, the first films I submitted were awful. They were horrible. They're not good. I'm not okay. going to talk about them. They're not good. And I went there to New York City to my first film festival with my mom, and I started watching other f- films by, like, people my age who, like, were really good at what they were doing. Uh-huh. And I just started talking to my mom, and I was like, oh, like, all these people, they go to, like, arts high school, like, boarding school. Like, Interlock and Arts Academy was one of them, and there was another one called Idlewild. And then I told my mom, I was like, you know what? I think I want to go to the academy. I want to go to boarding school and study this full time for real. And of course, my mother was like, where are we going to get the money to do that? Right. I'm, I'm some freaking kid from Alabama. Like, I don't come from money. Right. And then the second thing she was saying was like, well, you can't even get your grades well in school now. Like, why would, why, why would you succeed going to a, a prestigious academy for it? Right. It makes no sense. Um, so that was really heartbreaking, but then I basically like almost made like a presentation for her to see all the cons and the pros and like why it would be different this time to give me a shot. And, uh, I got a great scholarship there, but my parents scooped up like enough funds to send me there just for like a trial year, just to see what happened. And based on that, we decided if I go a second year, cause it was for my junior year of high school. Right. And that was the best decision of my life. Cause I met all the collaborators I still work with today. We became best friends. We lived together. We eat together. And it was like the the purest experience of my life, being around people who are purely passionate, around teachers who truly cared and truly understood that every need of a student is different. 
So if someone's like not academically good at math, right, they could be a profound pianist, like, you know? Right. Um, so that's it was a very beautiful. magical experience, yeah. Oh, that must have been amazing. To be in a culture that's accepting of your weirdness. Yes, you that's know, what it was. The weirder you were, the more popular you were. It was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it's really cool. Oh, man, that's, that's really beautiful. And then what happened after that? So, so you went to school. You're accepted. Got accepted to school. Um, oh, man, my first year, uh, I got into a lot of trouble because I broke a lot of rules. That didn't change. I feel like once you enter that rebellious streak, I'm sure you know you don't really leave that. Right. It kind of just stays with you. Because uh -huh. like, you realize at a certain age, when you start breaking rules, you realize, oh, nothing does really happen. It's just people telling me I can't do something. What are they going to do, yell at me? Like, okay, I can handle it. What are they going to do, beat me up? I can also handle that. Right. And uh, so, yeah, I started breaking rules. I started, like, kind of picking fights with, with my teachers and stuff because I didn't agree with what they were saying. And that actually was really cool because one of my professors, Andrew Hiss, he always challenged me back. And I never had a teacher care enough to do that. Usually it was just like, I don't want to deal with this. Like, here's a punishment. Right. But Andrew Hiss... He was this professor that would always challenge me back. He'd fight back with me. If I, like, talked back to him, he'd be like, okay, great, well, why? And that was really cool. And that actually made me, like, who I am today, I would say. Like, asking those inquisitive questions and instead of, like, just arguing to argue, like, actually listening and understanding an argument. He taught me all those skills. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, but long story short, the reason why I bring up Andy, Andy is because, actually, he recently passed away unexpectedly but he's probably like oh. the most important figure to me filmmaking wise like to exist so man i'm sorry for your loss yeah it sounds like he was very impactful in your life 100 percent. he's he's why i am the way i am yeah wow was he the most impactful teacher you've had 100 percent. uh what about since then have you had any mentors or people that you would consider in that category i think it's interesting because Andy put in the work to really open me up as a person because I used to be a very, very guarded person. Hmm. Um, just a bit of insight for people listening. Like, you know, imagine being the only Asian girl in Alabama, in, not in Alabama, but like in your school in Alabama, and you're around a lot of white people and, and in like an environment like that, you kind of have to sink or swim. And the way I learned how to swim was by like making fun of myself and my own culture and cracking those like very racist Asian jokes. Because I realized like no one can hurt me if I hurt myself first. Mm. So that was kind of like the guard I had up instantly. And Andy was the person when I fought back, when I was very rebellious, when I said things like, fuck you, like you're wrong. He was the one that was patient enough to be like, like laugh and be like, that's hilarious. You're right. I'm wrong. But tell me why I'm wrong. He took the time to like really like open me up in that sense. And because of him, I've been able to have many other mentors and like accept knowledge because of that basis with him. He was the one that had to bear all like the me being an asshole and like, you know, like, fuck you, Andy, like all that shit. But like since then, obviously, I don't do that anymore. But yeah, yeah. But he, it seems like he he saw that as like an, a beautiful energy exchange. Yes. Right. And he wasn't <laughs> trying to impose the dynamic on you. Like I'm the teacher, so I'm just right because right. of my title. He was um, valuing your opinion, saying, OK, argue your case. Yes. He I think there's very few people like that in the world where they can see someone for who they are, no matter what fronts they put up. Yeah. I think that is a skill that is very rare in people. 
And he was like one of the few people I've ever met in my life where you could put him in front of anybody, even someone who's like cussing him out, treating him horribly. And he's so calm, so collected. He'll let them finish. And he will just know who your like your true spirit is, your true heart is. And he'll be like, this isn't you, but let's talk about it. Like, why do you feel like I'm these things? Like, why do you feel this way? And by the end of the conversation, you'd realize like, oh my gosh, like, oh, like I was being an asshole just because I was insecure about X, Y, Z. Yeah, that's beautiful. It sounds like he was, um, he was aware, you know, that, that we, uh, our actions aren't always who we are. You know, there's like a surface level action, which is usually a reaction to what's really happening on the inside. Like, um, there was this photo from Burning Man a couple of years ago that had these two adults, like, it was like a structure. Do you know what I'm I talking about? Where they're like that. this, but there's babies on the inside and yes. their hands are touching. Like, that's like the visual representation of what you're talking about, right? Just 100%. Knowing that there's something beneath that. Like, okay, this person's cussing me out, but it's because they're hurting. Right. I think that's the biggest lesson, lesson in general of like, adolescence is realizing that that's why like everyone's like their most traumatizing stories are like from middle school and shit because like that's when kids are the meanest and they don't realize that their words have impacts on people for years like they don't have awareness yeah so much of who we are now is um a result of how we had to survive in our environment as kids totally i just started reading um or listening to the audiobook of will smith's new book i haven't read it yet yeah i just started today i'm like five chapters in already it's so interesting and we're still like in his childhood we haven't even gotten to his graduation yet and just going through all the different things that happened and already you're seeing wow that's how he became the will smith that we know now you know like wow. his father used to beat up his mom and the only way that he could stop him from doing that was by keeping him happy and laughing and entertained so he learned to be like the entertainer in the family and he equated that if i just made everybody laugh my house would be peaceful and it became a survival technique and then he you know and then developed and then now we know will smith right wow. so it's it's just so interesting like as i study personal development and psychology almost all of it is about realizing old patterns <laughs> Oh, my God. You know, so much of, like, you know, the realization is, uh, hey, I need to undo the bullshit from my childhood. Yeah. You know, keep the good parts, but undo all the pain and survival mechanisms that we had to develop, you know? If just undoing that is most of enlightening work. That is so real. You know, because, like, at our core, we're supposed to be grateful, loving, beautiful beings. You know, everything else is just a response to stress and fear. Yes. All of it, you know. Um, this pandemic has brought out a lot of emotions in people. How is it for you? I think it's interesting you say that, too, because I think a lot of that personal development conversation leads so well into, like, conversations about, like, how people are in, like, romantic relationships or, like, you know, like, mating, partner, or whatever. I don't yeah. know what the right word is for that. Um, and I think as I study the pandemic, too, I see, like, so many people that I've known for years that were together, like, as couples, like, they either like married or like split up. It was such a divide. Yeah. There was no one who was like in it in between. I think like it was either that extreme of like we're done, split up after years of being together, or it was like they got married and they're ready to be together forever. Yes, because it made us almost inescapable from one another. Right. If you were locked in, very isolated from everybody else, but I think we were um, locked in with our choices. Right. And we were forced to uh, observe our choices you know because it didn't have so much of life to distract us from normally we have the basketball game and this thing and that thing and this happening and that happening so much happening in the outside world that 
we're too busy to check what's happening here. Yes. But in the pandemic, it just so much stopped that it was like, wait a minute, I have all these feelings. What's going on? <laughs> like, why am I feeling angry and anxious all the time? <laughs> you know? And it's like, oh, shit. You know? Um, I felt isolated, but grateful because it was my best year business-wise mm-hmm. during the pandemic. Like, work-wise, off the charts. Got so many gigs and, and, and landed things and launched a new company. But I felt that I was just very far from my friends, yeah. you know, and just the general rhythm of social life, yeah. right? Where it's like you work hard, but then you can at least go do something, you know? And it's like you're used to having a rhythm and, um, and just especially in those first few months, like, oh, my God. Um, I'm a very social person. I'm like an introvert extrovert. What, what, <laughs> you know, like, like when I'm focused on work. Like in, in my computer, I'm an introvert, right. you know, like I, 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 I want to shut myself off from the world. I have black curtains, you know what I mean? I'm in my, my bubble, you know, but then there's times where I need to refuel. So then I, I do the energy exchanges with people, you know. Um, there's a funny meme where it shows a, an editor before the pandemic and an editor during the pandemic, and it's the same photo. <laughs> it's just him in a room with the blacked-out curtains. That's so funny. The same with colors and shit, too. That's so funny. <laughs> That's really good. What did you do during the pandemic? How was it for you, personally? I realized that I compensate so much by working. I think that was the biggest thing I noticed about the pandemic. It's really funny you say that, too, because, honestly, I had graduated college during the pandemic, Oh, wow. And I instantly had to figure out how to get money, like, from a job. But, like, all I know how to do is direct because I'm stupid. So. You just got ready to college? Yeah. Whoa. During the pandemic, dead ass. Wow. So I, I've barely been out of uh, school for a year. Or maybe it's been exactly a year since. Whenever the pandemic, that March or whatever, that's when I graduated. Wow. Yeah, that was really rough. Like, imagine graduating, like, this is, like, this big thing. My grandma is alive, and, like, she waited her whole life to, like, kind of experience this, and it had to be over Zoom. Oh. I got mailed my diploma. You know, I didn't see my family from Alabama for months already, and, of course, they couldn't come see me graduate, so it was very sad. Pretty anticlimactic. Yeah. Um, so you've been doing a lot of work. Oh, yeah. A lot. So when I graduated, I had to figure out a way to make money. And I dabbled in a lot of different things. I tried a YouTube channel because I had a lot of friends who were kind of big YouTubers. And mm-hmm. I thought maybe, well, this is something I could do myself. And I'm interested in talking about films and stuff. So I started a film critiquing channel. Um, and it was started doing pretty well. But then I stopped it because I kind of had like a change of heart about what film criticism is and what it actually means. <laughs> which is so pretentious. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, stupid. And then, uh, weirdly enough, I got... A lot of commercial gigs that were kind of like pandemic commercials because no one wanted to be shooting and i had like a close pot of friends that i like basically lived with essentially and we started shooting these like ads for like tinder and etc because like they wanted to hire like just a director and dp to kind of do smaller stuff yeah and that actually set me up really well for my career how were you getting those gigs so this is a complicated story The Tinder gig came from my previous agency I was signed to in commercials, Adolescent Content. Okay. I was signed to them when I was 18, when I had a musical film, senior year of high school, go viral on the internet in Thailand. Got it. That's how they kind of found me and how that whole thing kind of set itself up. Um, So they found me the Tinder job. And then the Tinder job, 
also led to other jobs like with other agencies that kind of just found it through that ad that went on social media yeah yeah so it kind of had a snowball effect if you will oh that's amazing thank you wow so i'm even more impressed with you now (laughs) (laughs) i thought you've been in the game for way longer your work is so good oh my gosh thank you that's so nice that i appreciate that That who inspires you now oh so many people it's hard to list because there's there's everyday people that inspire me so much, and there's also obviously like filmmakers that inspired me for years. Yeah. Um, which one would you want to hear about? The last everyday person that inspired you. If there's a particular person, or is it just a, a way you interact with people that you just feel respect? Hmm. There's so many people that inspire me. Like, I'm not even just saying that. I know it sounds like bullshit, but there's generally are so many people. But I would say the person that's inspired me the most recently would be my friend Rochelle Chen. Because during the pandemic, she had the courage to also, like, quit this job that she was no longer happy at. And Mm -hmm. also was feeling like wasn't fulfilling her needs as a person. Mm -hmm. And she spent that time really just growing. and, And she started, like, getting a new hobby, like skateboarding and, like putting herself out there to make new friends. And she's always been like an encouraging figure in my life. Like when I graduated college, I remember I was thinking about working at the post office because I didn't think I had what it took to actually become a director. Yeah. Because I had just graduated during a pandemic and I was like, I don't don't know, shit, I don't have shit. (laughs) And Rochelle, she was the one that was like, if you don't ever try this, you'll never know. So just try freelancing. I wish I tried freelancing and see how it goes. And you, you could always work at freaking UPS if you fail, whatever. Right. And that was the best advice I'd ever gotten in my life. And to this day, like I just saw her yesterday. She's like one of my best friends and she inspires me so much to just like be a better person. That's awesome. And, and I like what she said too, just about just trying it. Yeah. Why not? Yeah, it's true. You know, I think uh, a lot of times we don't even go for what we want. You know, um, but I think that the thing that we want is actually probably more achievable than we think it is because most people are afraid of even asking for it. That is so real. And I think the best way to compare that is, and I've, I've literally had conversations about this. It's like, you know, when you see someone really attractive, say in a restaurant. Yeah. And we're like socially conditioned now with social media and stuff. It's not like the old times where in movies where you would go up to someone and be like, oh, you're so beautiful. Like, whatever. You don't do right. that. We see someone and instantly in our mind, what we do, like the socially acceptable thing is like, like to process like, oh, they're attractive. But like, I can never go up to them and talk to them because that's creepy. That's weird. Right. And then you just go about your life and you think about them maybe for two weeks later and you regret it, but still you go about your life. Right. And I think that many ways, I feel like people actually are opposites they will go for that person in real life like they'll go for people but they don't treat their careers that way and Mm. i'd say opportunities are like that person at the bar that you see like just go up to them and talk to them you you can do it in a way that's not creepy you could do it in a way and you don't know you could end up married to them 10 years from now yeah but if you walk away from that person you'll probably never see them again or at least you'll be mad at yourself for not having the courage to at least just have said hey they could have become a really good friend yeah, Who you knows? never know. Right. And it's funny because probably the more attractive that person is, we think we have less of a chance. But in reality, probably have more of a chance because people are more intimidated by them. That's true. They probably want people to talk to them. People are just too afraid to say hi. That's And same thing with business opportunities, I think. <laughs> I think people think that like directing is this thing that is really hard to get into. And don't get me wrong, it is. There's so many gatekeepers. There's so many horrible things I don't necessarily like about how things are structured. But in that same regard to that person at the bar, 
it seems very attractive and like you might not have a chance, but there's not many people knocking because they're scared. So just go for it. Because if your work's there, if you're a good person, that person will probably like you back. And same thing with directing. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of similarities there. <clears throat> you know, uh, when I was young, one of the one of the first uh, psychology type books that I read, well, there were two big ones that infected me. Uh, one was uh, the Forty Eight Laws of Power, which is like I read it. Robert Greene. <laughs> yeah, very ruthless kind of a book. You know, it's crazy. <clears throat> yeah, very very impactful. And the other one that was equally impactful was this one about dating. The laws of attraction or the... No, it was this other one called The Mystery Method, which is literally a pickup artist book. What? It's literally a book kind of about courtship. And it explains it scientifically. And it broke it down in the phases of attraction and then comfort and then seduction. And it was so interesting. And it was explaining like psychology over time and and the perceived social dynamics of what were you just saying about how when you go to a social place and you see that very attractive person and then you feel somehow we feel that we're less than and then there's that 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 fear and you want to connect with them but you don't want to feel creepy right the same thing can be applied to business opportunities right Mm -hmm. like when there's a celebrity in the room the celebrity in the room is just as it's the same dynamic as when there's the the really attractive person in the room it's the one that everybody wants but is afraid to talk to right and this book was essentially just explaining I mean, it's straight up how to get women into bed. Like, that's what the book is about. But I interpreted it in a bigger sense of, like, understanding and reading the social dynamics of the room. Totally. Right? Of releasing the fear from connecting with people and not assuming that you have less value than other people. Right? What I got from it was a sense of worthiness of saying, no, first of all, cultivate your worthiness, right? So that when you do show up to the place you're already showing up feeling like, okay, I, I deserve to make a connection with this person, right? Or I deserve to at least try to get this job, right? I remember when I went on my first tour with um, Taiga and P. Diddy, I was their videographer um, earlier in my career. And uh, I was technically Taiga's videographer, but he was on tour with Diddy. So we got to see Diddy every once in a while. And a lot of people were really afraid to talk to him. You wow. know, people were just like walking on eggshells around him. And then it clicked, I was like, ah, I remember that book. And I was like, in this case, Diddy is the hot girl in the room. Yeah. Oh, my <laughs> god. And I was like, oh, okay, great. Well, then let me just be friendly and playful. You know? And I was being friendly and playful. And we created this, this rhythm and we're able to shoot this video in Times Square. Just go impromptu. No, like we walked down from his apartment and just shot a video in Times Square. That's so Just crazy. for fun. And it, it just came from just goofing around and just not trying to be like, oh, hello, mister. You know? And like, it's like, hey, we're both people. exactly let's talk shit let's hang out you know what i mean like let's just be playful that was really helpful for me um has there been any books that have impacted you are you a book type of person i i love books i that's the one thing i did like in in school i love to read uh still love to read um also to comment on what you just said too like that is really that's so interesting like also just being a fly on the wall recording how people act around like celebrities like that's super interesting but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Back to the books. Okay. Uh, yeah, I've actually really got into graphic novels recently. Um, just because I feel like there's something really interesting about that that medium that's a combination between film making and also like what it's like prose. So I really like graphic novels. And one of my favorites is Persepolis. 
So if you guys haven't read it, you should read it. It's very good. Okay. But what is it? Is it like a like a comic book book in book form? Is it like essentially a book with like pictures on every page? Is that how it goes? Yeah. So Persepolis is very interesting because it, it plays out like a, a memoir. And it's a, it's a true story about, you know, the girl in it. Uh, but when you read it, the illustrations are like almost like children's illustrations for very adult themes of like growing up and like having to leave like a very like messed up situation growing up and like the, the heartbreakingness of that. Yeah. It's very well done. I don't want to spoil too much because it's a very good book. So it's a very quick read too. Do you enjoy fiction books more or nonfiction? Oh man, that's a tough question. Uh, definitely fiction. I think nonfiction, like if my friends send me stuff, I will definitely read it. Like I, I read anything that my friends give to me as a book or like tell me to read. And usually they're pretty right about my taste. But I would say for fiction, the reason I like it is because often when you're directing, you're so in your head. Directing is a very lonely job, as you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, until you're actually shooting. Like, you're on calls talking to everybody for answers, but, like, you have to answer to yourself. Like, everyone else can come to you as a person as the voice of guidance, but you don't have anyone else to go to really. Obviously, the producer for money things, but you know what I mean. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's very internal. And so getting to, like, read something that isn't my own thoughts at the end of the day is, is so important because you get so jumbled up in there. I don't know if you feel the same way. I feel that way. Uh, I don't do it in the form of fiction books, but I do watch movies a lot. Yeah. And I'm the kind of person that'll watch the same movie many times. Same. Or the same season of a TV show multiple times, and I get different things from it. Um, and then audiobooks, too. I mean, I think what I'm getting from what you're saying is uh, we're constantly outputting so much. Yeah. That there needs to be um, a certain amount of input. Yes. As well. A time where I shut my brain off and I'm just listening. Yes. And receiving. Receiving somebody else's pattern of thought. That's not as jumbled as mine. Totally. Right? Totally. Yep. Um, that's beautiful. I think something that, because people ask all the time, like the big question I think we get as directors is like, how do you start directing? Like, you know, how do you be a director? Yeah. It's a great question. But I think what I describe to a lot of people as like an everyday life, at least just for me, is like when you're not working, you're really constantly, you're spending all that time being like, oh man, why am I not working? Oh, I should be working right now. And yes. you're like out here, like you're, you're picking your nose, looking at the fridge and it's fucking empty, whatever. You're, you know, you're trying to figure out what you're doing with your time and you're so kind of almost bored or you, you reminisce about how you should be writing that TV show pilot or script or whatever. You spend all that time thinking about work. <laughs> And then when you are working, you're like, oh, my God, why am I working? Like, this is awful. Like, so many things are happening. Everyone's calling me right now. What do I do? So it's just like this catch-22, but it's it's kind of fantastic in that sense. It's very neurotic and dumb, but it's amazing. I love it. I love just making things happen. Yeah. You know, my parents were both uh, classical ballet dancers. Wow. So I, had, I grew up in an artistic family. So for me, making art just felt natural. It's like, well, of course we make art. Totally. Why wouldn't we? You know, there, there's beauty to be captured and shared. That was always a philosophy. That's amazing. Having parents that are dancers, like, did you go to, like, see them perform, like, at the ballet all the time? Oh, my God. By the time I was old enough to realize it, my mom was more so choreographing and teaching. My dad was still dancing. He would be, like, the star of the show doing the big, ta-da, you know, and everybody claps. And and I would be, you know, watching. And I'd be backstage hanging out with all the lighting guys, seeing them, how they hit the cues. You know, right when this thing happens, they... And then the snow starts falling down. I was just, I love the theatrics of the whole thing. You're right. I love a well put together show. I also developed a love for classical music too. You know, like I love hip hop, 
and classical music. I probably listen to those two. I know they're, they're kind of opposites, you know? I just like things that are that evoke emotion in me. Like, there's times where I want lyrics, and there's times where I don't want any lyrics. That makes total sense. You yeah. know, like, sometimes I just want to hear Hans Zimmer. Yeah, no, 100%. In the background. That makes total sense, because, like, with hip-hop, too, everyone, everyone who doesn't understand hip-hop thinks that it's just like, oh, they're just talking about bitches and money, and it's like... Oh my gosh, like, I, I could go on a whole rant about that. It's so much, like, when you listen to Jay-Z stuff, he, it's so much deeper than that. I'm so glad you say that. Oh my god. So I'm so juiced right now. Well, A, today is the 18th anniversary of Jay-Z's Black Album. I'll just start there. I didn't even know that. That's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's great so album. Time. Fantastic album. Yeah. Really and what you album. just said has been the reason that me and my dad have been connecting more lately, because he's currently in prison for a few more years, and... Um, and he's a really good guy. We've connected on all kinds of things. Yeah, he, he got into some trouble, and it's very unfortunate. But um, one of the things we connect with lately is music. Wow. And uh, and my stepdad, well, well, I, he's my stepdad, but I call him my father. Um, he's Cuban, but he's black. But he's not like American black. He's Cuban black, you right. know? So uh, while he's in there, though, he's hanging out more with the black guys in prison. Like People kind of hang with their races when you're locked up. And, uh, and he told me he wants to understand more about American black culture. So he's been asking me to send him Jay-Z songs with the lyrics. And then we have, when he calls me, we talk about the lyrics. Wow. And he said the same thing you said. He was like, I used to think the rap was just about, you know, showing off and bravado and this and that. But now he's understanding that, you know, for Jay-Z to make it from where he came from and to be the business magnet that he is, what he raps about is showing the possibilities it's like, look, we're not limited with our, you know, identity as who we are as black people. Like, we can become businessmen and businesswomen, right? Like, there's there's more for us than just being where we are, you know? And I think that's that's what I get from it. For me, Jay-Z is like a, like a motivational speaker. Me, I love that. I love that. Because you know, that is so true. He represents logic for me, like a sense of order, almost like an army captain, you know? And to me... As an artist, I like Kanye better. As a rapper, I like Jay-Z better. Kanye represents chaos yeah. to me. He's like, I'm going to try stuff and be weird and experiment, you know? And Jay-Z's like, no, 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 we're going to stay focused. We're going to get our shit together. And we're going to build a business, you know? And I, I like bouncing back and forth between those two. I think, like, honest, obviously, I guess this is a kind of a weird comparison because, you know, Van Gogh only sold one painting his whole entire life. But I view Kanye almost like Van Gogh because mm -hmm. it's very clear that he's very mentally ill. And I think that it's interesting how we don't consider that those things in like his actions as well. Like I don't think you have to be extremely mentally ill to be a great artist that by any means at all. Right. But that's part of part of the genius in his work is like he's very mentally ill and that's why he's able to create such sounds and like such different you know, like, stuff that we've never heard before. Yes. And I think that when people talk about his music, they gloss over that. They're like, oh, he's just crazy. He's just a crazy genius. And there's there's something really sad about that. It's not that he's a crazy genius. It's the fact that, like, he's mentally ill and he is probably really misunderstood. But also, yeah, there's a lot of controversy about his name. So I don't want to get too much into that. But uh, I love Jay-Z's stuff. I think exactly like you said, he is truly a poet. He's truly a poet. Yeah. Who's your favorite rappers? That's tough. Uh, I love, like right now, like what I'm listening to a lot of is, oh, that's so tough. 
because I, I know Donda. I really like Donda. I don't care what anyone says. I love Donda so much. Me too. I have I have the jacket. I have the oh you do the security vest. Donda Donda thing. Yeah. That's so funny. I really love Donda. I'm not gonna lie. It's probably like one of my favorite rap albums of the year. Um, but I've kind of revisited like J Cole recently because one of my friends was telling me like one of the songs of his like went viral on TikTok for X Y Z reason, and. I never realized like how story like how much storytelling he has in his work because I like I never really like listened to him that much, mm-hmm. so I kind of revisit J Cole. Um, I gotta check that album out. I don't think I've heard his new album all the way through. It's all right. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah, I think it's okay. Yeah. Sorry if you're I mean, anyone who's J Cole. <laughs> it's okay. Like it's not Donda, but it's okay. You know, it's funny. I got the Donda stem player. Yeah, I was going to ask that. Like, I didn't know what that was, but... So he came out with this... Apparently, my music friend kind of broke my heart the other day and told me that this is not new technology, but it's new from a consumer standpoint. It's a player that isolates the stems of the song. So as you're playing music, you can say just the vocals, just the drums, no vocals. Like, while you're playing a song, seamlessly go from playing it the regular way to saying, give me just vocals here. That's cool. Yeah, so you can, like, isolate the different parts of it. I think that's nice. Like putting power of how we listen to it in our hands. That's really cool. I'm a fan. I think it's important to be fans of things. Yeah. I think a lot of professional artists act like they're too cool for school. Oh my god. Like they know it all because they're in the industry. It's like, no, dude, like it's it's okay to fan out. It's okay to be super excited about somebody's album or movie dropping. You know, like when a Tarantino movie comes out, I'm watching it. I don't even need to see a trailer. Yeah. Certain people, I'm just like, I'm going to go see it. Right. <laughs> I think... Sorry, I could No, go ahead. You go ahead. That's a really... Honestly, something that really frustrates me about a lot of people that work in our industry, like something that I've been kind of like working through personally is like, I think people... There's like this weird attitude where it's like, only I can be the best. Only I can like win. Right. And there's like... when Have you noticed like sometimes when filmmakers... That was kind of like my issue with film criticism. Like filmmakers will talk about other filmmakers' work and... In a way where it's like so pompous, it's not constructive, if that makes sense. Yes. And I think that it's important to realize like, there's so many people that are better than what we, like what we're doing. Like so many people, there's room for all of us to like make amazing things. And like if we like put other people on and also like talk about it and like are constructive in a way that is like helpful rather than just like being like, I don't like Tarantino's movie because he likes feet. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah. It, there's a lot of. In our culture right now, uh, this trend of just shooting people down. Yeah. And if you ever notice, the people that are really focused, really on top of their shit, making things happen, they're not shooting anybody down. No. The people that are are really on their ball, they're just focused on doing them. And they find, they seem to just be complimenting everybody else. You know, most of the teardowns come, at least publicly, come from people that don't seem to be doing that well. I think there's like a... I don't know, this culture of just takedowns. Now, yeah. everybody wants to act like, oh, that movie could have been better this way or that way. It's like, dude, you don't know how much work it takes just to get a movie made. Just to make a feature? like <laughs> Just to get it completed. Yeah. Much less have it be good. Like, there's so much that has to go right. You know, because filmmaking is a combination of many art forms. A hundred percent. Do you want to do features? More than anything in the world. Yeah. That is my ultimate dream. What about you? Eventually, yes. It's the ultimate. It's like this thing. It feels like that thing on a mountain that like you can't ever get to. <laughs> like, I don't know. It almost feels like uh, music videos and commercials are like dating. Yeah. And a movie is like a marriage. Almost. Yes. You know, it's like 
I'm getting a lot of experience from all these dates I'm having with this commercial, with that music video, with this music video. But then when it's time to do a movie, I think it requires a different level of dedication and commitment. Yeah. You can't do two movies at once. No. You can do four music videos at once, technically. You could have many music videos, one in, one in post, one you write. You know what I mean? You could be in the middle of many projects on the small side. Right. But I feel like a movie requires a, a dedication of time and effort. You know? I, I think to jump off that, too, it's interesting. I So I haven't r really written anything in a very long time. Uh, so recently, I got this burst of inspiration to like write again. Okay. And this is like post... Basically, the last film I made was when I was in college, and I had not done a bunch of music videos and stuff like that. And post all these, like, dates I was having, like, these music videos and commercials and things, Yeah, I totally realized this, the style of stuff I want to be making. Like, the short film I had written recently is the most me thing I've ever written in years. Really? Because I had all this time to just play in different genres and see what I liked as an artist and, like, what actually, like, spoke to my heart and, like, what I hated doing and never want to do again. And just like dating, it's like you kind of realize what you want in that person, in that feature. Yes. And so when you finally make that feature, you meet that person, you're open and you're ready. What style is it that you want to make? Oh my gosh, I I have this script that I've, I've recently just finished that I really want to shoot this summer, actually. It's kind of like, I love films like Edward Scissorhands. Okay. Stuff that's very sweet, but bittersweet, but also is like, it's funny, but at the core of it, it's very heartbreaking and real and sad. I love stuff like that. Oh, that's great. What made you realize that? Was it just a process of you trying out other styles or was there an aha moment? Hmm. <clears throat> well, it was definitely a process because I think if you look at my other shorts, I have a musical film and then I have a film that's like very, like a talky, Ozu-esque, like two-shot, very theater-esque film. And then this one that I just finished writing uh, it's called The Last Masterpiece. It's completely, like, it's up the wazoo. There's hella dream sequences, but it still has that realness from the Ozu stuff I was making. But the whimsicalness and colors of, like, the musical. It's, like, everything fused together. And the reason I was able to come to terms with that was because I started realizing in my music video work, in the beginning, if you look at my, like, music video work, it kind of feels like I don't really have a voice in, like, my earlier stuff. And then towards January of last year, you started seeing like a consistency. All my stuff was shot on film, very colorful, like almost very similar storytelling. There's a lot of dream sequences where like a lot of like weird, weird darkness, but also like there's a lot of color. So is it light kind of thing going on like Edward Scissorhands. And I think the more I was making that, the more I realized I was like, oh man, like, oh, I have a style now. Like I truly have a style now. That's amazing. Thank you. Congratulations on finding that. I feel like I'm just now almost finding my style yeah i think most of the work i've done has been facilitating what i was hired for totally right i was like um like a pleaser whatever the project needed i gave it right and most projects will come to me with a kind of a pre-baked idea and then i would just add my flavor to it and off we went but then over the pandemic like you i was just constipating i was like well what is my style yeah like if, if i was creating for me what would that look like? Totally. You know? And it's interesting because you almost... It, like, the right amount of things need to come together for that to happen. Right? The project. The right project. The right client. The right people. Unless it's a passion project that you expand on that with. You know? I feel like great art... And tell me what you think about this. Mm -hmm. is almost selfish for the artist. 
Mm. In that, maybe selfish is the wrong word, but like the art needs to please the artist first. Mm-hmm. And the truer it is to the artist, the truer it'll be for the person who connects with it. It's not for everybody, right? It's like if, if you're making like a chocolate cake with chocolate sprinkles and half chocolate on the side. That's, the, that's what you're making. Now, somebody can either love or hate chocolate, but this is what this plate is about unapologetically, right? I agree with that 100%. Yeah. You know, I, I think because I was such a pleaser, I never got to do things that were that much of me. Right. I feel like I was able to execute many styles, but now I'm really feeling the urges of being like, no, 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 this is going to go this way and really push, for lack of a better word, a sense of direction. Yeah. You know, it's interesting it. you say that. One of my one of my mentors, uh, he basically, I, I had like this great conversation with him where I, I was in a similar boat where I was like, well, you know, I'm really confused. I think the client has a bunch of shitty notes and I feel like if I make this, I'm doing a huge disservice to myself and I would never watch this. I don't know what to do. And I it's not like I need the money that bad. I was like talking to my mentor about this. Yeah. Because for that that particular job I was talking about, I, I they were not paying me enough for what they were asking of me. <laughs> All right. Like it was like whatever. And then my mentor, he said this thing I will never forget. He said, Christina, as a director, your job is to be hired as the protector of an idea. Mm-hmm. You're the guardian of an idea. And the moment that you forget that is the moment you lose it all. So don't forget your morals and don't forget that your job as a director is to facilitate and protect an idea. And he was like, truly, like, obviously you want to do what the client says. You have to do what the client says. But if it gets to a point where you don't, obviously, if you don't, you need the money, you'll do the job. But like, you don't need the money that bad. It's going to have your name on it. It's going to hurt what you want to do. You have the power to walk In, in many ways. When you say that you're willing to walk, people realize you care a lot about the idea and they are more willing to like actually make it happen. Yes. Because I love that. It was just like, it, it clicked for me. Cause it's so true as a director. Like you're constantly being, people hire you for your voice and they constantly try to take away from you because they're scared. And your job is to protect that at all costs and assure them it will be okay. Wow. That's the best description I've heard. That motivated me. <laughs> that was great. That, that one really hit me. I'm so glad. Yeah, when he told me, my mind was like, holy shit. Because the truth is, too, like, what he was saying, obviously, for people out there, you know, obviously take it if you need the money. That's a whole different story. I get it. Sometimes you just do jobs, you need the money. Right. But it's interesting. If you do choose to walk from a job that's totally stripping of your creativity, I know it's like a weird, like, it's like, oh, man, like, they fired me. We're like, oh, man, like, I I feel really bad about this. But in reality, you did the best thing for yourself. Because what the fuck are you going to do? You're going to put that in your reel? Probably not. Yeah. You didn't need the money that bad. Like, what for, you just made up something really, really bad that you're gonna hate yourself for making. So, what was that for? Dropping bombs. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Christina, that was fantastic. I wish I could say it was from me. It was from him, man. Well, you channeled it. Thanks for sharing that. <laughs> that, that one hit me a lot, actually. <laughs> well, I'm glad. I'm super glad. I have a, a simple question for you. Yeah. Uh, What's the meaning of life? Hmm. You know, it's, it is a simple question. That's the, that's the trouble with it. That question is a very simple question, but sometimes the simplest questions are the ones that are the hardest to answer. <sighs> the meaning of life. I think if you were to ask me this and ask me to answer in 10 seconds, the first thing I thought of was obviously happiness. 
But I think the more I go on to, I think happiness is important, but I think it's deeper than that. Because I think happiness can be fleeting, but I think that having happiness that is long lasting comes from like connection and relationships and really being a good friend or person to people. And that comes above all. Uh, yeah. I love that. That's a beautiful answer. Thank you. How would you like to be remembered? If I were to die? In general. Mm. <laughs> I, so Andy used to write this phrase on the board. He used to write, barns burned down, I can finally see the moon. He would write that on the board in the class. And the first time I read that, I started crying. I was just, I could not stop crying. And I was so mad because I was like, why am I crying? You, what the fuck? You. Uh, and the more that I've grown up, the more I've thought about it, the more I've realized that is truly the sentiment of how I view everything in my life. Because if you think about it, right, your barn's burning down. Like everything of your, of your life, your, your uh, capitalistic life is gone. It's in the flames. But in that moment, instead of worrying about the fire that's in front of you because everything is gone, you just look up and you realize that the world's much bigger than that. There's the moon and there's all this nature around you and it's been here for thousands and thousands of years and life has gone on and life will go on. And so you should just go on and it'll be okay. Mm. And I'd like that on my tombstone. I'd like to be remembered for that. I don't want anyone to be sad that I'm dead. No matter what happens, like don't be sad about it. Just be happy that you were able to talk to me. And by some miracle, we met each other on the 8 billion people on this planet lifetime that we have, where everything had to go right for us to meet. And that's, that was good enough. That's beautiful. What are you grateful for? <laughs> everything. <laughs> I, I, well, it's funny. Uh, I'm grateful for everything. Like, I, I do very much realize that I'm lucky to have parents that accept me for what I do, uh, have friends that love me, have get to do what I do for a living, obviously. Um, but deeper than that, I'd say that every time I get in these very depressive episodes, like, cause I, I have like very bad depression, I will find myself spiraling in a way that is like uncontrollable. And the only thing that can kind of ground me is when I think about how many things had to go right for me to exist. Like, some dinosaur didn't eat an ancestor of mine, and for some goddamn reason, that person, by some miracle, reproduced with another person. And it, everything had to go right for me to be right here. So, at least I got something right, if I got everything else wrong. Wow. <laughs> so pretentious. <laughs> wow. Thanks. <laughs> right? Really? <laughs> Wow, stop, yo. <laughs> that is beautiful. You know, it's, it's interesting because, yeah, if you go back in time, so many people had to come together for us to be here. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, even if you think back, okay, like, mom and dad is one and two. But then their mom and dad. So then now that's plus four more people. And then plus eight more people. And then plus six. It's really like millions of people had to come together, you know, to, to bring it down. Yeah. If you had to include the mom and dad of every person and the mom and dad of their of them, you know, and all the events that had to happen for us to be here. Yeah. It's really crazy. And you like look at history books too. I honestly if I had not become a filmmaker, I would love to become like a historian because you look at all these things like World War Two and like World War One, whatever, and we think in our heads we're like, Oh man, so many people died. Like 
that could have been one of our family members or whatever war we're looking at yeah. easily. It could have been the freaking plague and none of us would have existed or whatever it was. Yeah. It's crazy. We have so much to be grateful for. You know, for, for all the things, the negative things that we see in the world today, and I think that's just because we're not used to or evolved to be able to handle the information of the entire world. So it seems like things are bad. From my perspective, things have never been better. In every measurement. I think the further you go back, the worse it gets for somebody. Right. Right? Women couldn't even have their own bank account until 1975. That's so recent. That's weird as fuck. Yeah. Like, literally, like, there is no time that was better. Anywhere. You know? Um, a poor person today lives better than the king of Spain in 1300s. Yeah. They didn't have refrigerators. They couldn't get a smoothie. You, it, you know, <laughs> like the simplest things they couldn't get, you know, like there was a time where you could only hear Mozart if you were there. Right. Before you had records, before you could record music and hear music that they aren't playing in front of you. We get to hear the greatest pieces of music ever written anywhere. Anytime. Anytime. That still trips me out. It's, it's kind of like, I think the only reason, I have a theory about this, the only reason why everyone feels like things have gotten so shit. Obviously, yes, there's shit. There's always been shit. There's always fucking been shit. Right. But it's so much easier to complain about shit now, like, on the internet, so there's just an influx of it. Yeah. And then that negative energy goes on and on to, like, everybody, and everyone starts, like, it's an echo chamber. Yes. Whereas, like, back then, like, exactly like you said, like, back in the fucking, like, 1970s, like, sure, you had the news and shit, but, like, people weren't really able to communicate as much like that. Like, yeah. through the phone, maybe, but even then, it's like... It wasn't It wasn't one person to a million people. Right. Unless you were on CNN or whatever the news channel was, one of the three networks they had back in the day. Exactly. And also, all that news was, like, very, like, filtered and, yeah. and weirdly, you know, set up. Yeah. A lot I, to be grateful for. For real. It's, it's, it's crazy. Every day I think about that. It's crazy. Yeah. Even camera quality. Like, our iPhones now shit on some cameras from 20 years ago i think about that all the time and there's like a lot of people i know who like feel a lot of like resentment for like these kids on tiktok that are like making movies and i'm like why that was us we just like like this is the future generation of directors like you're looking at the freaking next like pt anderson right there because this this person could like shoot something on an iphone yeah I mean, I'm obviously, like, not everyone can do that, whatever. There's a ho whole bunch of arguments about that, too, whatever. But, but every like, generation has that. Yeah. The, My way was better. These new kids don't know what they're doing. It's, like, we're, like, our generation is becoming that now. I right. remember when, when we were the young ones, and it was like, you know, what are you doing with this hip-hop stuff and all this thing? And now it's like, now there's even that within hip-hop. Or there's, like, the people who are all about the old school hip-hop and old school being, like, Jay-Z from 04. Yeah. Not even back in the 90s anymore, you know? like Right. Time flies, man. It's crazy. But I am grateful for a lot of things. Like, even though day-to-day -day I feel a lot of anxiety, and this year I felt a ton of it, um, mostly from just being isolated, if anything, although I've been making more of an effort to connect with people, um... There, when I sit and think about how much there is to be grateful for. I mean, even right now, we're here in this room. We're not in another country getting bombed. A hundred percent. That's happening right now. Like, this very second, there's somebody somewhere hearing rockets. Like, and we're chilling here making a podcast. Like, we're okay. A hundred percent. That that kind of stuff grounds me all the time. And I think, like, with, with something like anxiety and, like, depression, it's, like, 
it is hard to find like those straws to grasp in those like episodes you know what i'm yes. talking about like yes but like having something like that to ground you in those moments like thinking something like that is like so helpful yes because it's rooted in reality and it's so easy to kind of spiral in your thoughts i think when you're like you know have some kind of mental disorder absolutely and being grateful is an exercise it's like um it's like uh, going to the gym you can know about going to the gym or you can go Yes. You know? And it's like, I can know about gratitude in theory. I know I should be grateful. But if I'm feeling anxious right now, it's because I literally have not stopped to exercise my gratitude. It means I quite literally have to hold my heart and think, okay, I'm grateful for my heart. And like sit here for like 15 minutes and like literally talk to myself out loud. I'm grateful for this. I'm grateful for my mom. I'm grateful for my dog. And like list it and do the exercise. Then I feel good. Other times, if I feel like I'm too much in, in a rush, I forget to do that. Then I wonder why I have anxiety. Yeah. I think, honestly, one of my friends, Matt, how he kind of helped me get into that habit is he recommended a thing called a gratitude journal. I think you and I talked about this. Yes. It's like, it's literally called a, I think it's called a, a five minute journal, five minute a day, whatever, whatever it's called. It's a gratitude journal. I started doing that uh, for a year. I filled up the whole entire journal. And then after that, it just became a part of my everyday routine to kind of like list out three things I'm excited for, three things I'm grateful for. And then at the end of the day, you go back to journal and then you write the same things like three things that happened today that I was extremely happy and grateful about and the three things I'm looking forward to tomorrow. Yeah. It's an exercise. You it's have, such an it exercise. It works when you work it. Yes. And it's so helpful with like mental health and stuff and like... Yeah. Because that's the thing. You just have to find something that grounds you into reality for a second. Yes. Because what we um, focus on, we feel, right? Which is why when we go to a great movie... And you see a love scene, it can warm your heart, or you can cry, or you can be scared, or you can laugh, right? It's because we're focused on it. Somebody's not actually getting killed. Yeah, we know exactly. it's fake, but it feels real. Right. It feels so real. A good movie will make you feel like, like I remember seeing Dunkirk, and there was a scene, have you seen Dunkirk? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When the airplane crashes on the water, and, and the water's filling in, and he can't open the top. You and feel the, it. And the camera's just there, they're not cutting. It's like a long, like two minute shot, and you feel that anxiety of like, holy shit, I'm about to die. And it's because we're so focused on it. And I think when we wake up and we scroll through social media, we're focusing on other people's problems and complaints all day. I hate this. I hate that. Fuck these people. I hate this. I hate that. Right? And it's just back and forth, you know, and just reading all the complaints or random things people are saying. Or if they're bragging, then we feel jealous. And, and we just literally focus on all these things that are counterproductive, and then, then we feel like shit. Yeah. You know, I think... Um, and I say this as a social media addict, you know, like I have to make a conscious effort of, of when I'm taking in too much of other people's energies, right? Because we said earlier that, that we output so much that sometimes we need to input, mm -hmm. but we need to be careful about what we're inputting. Mm -hmm. It can't just be anything, right? Kind of like food. Like there's times where I know I've eaten crap, too much junk food, and my body's asking me for like a green apple or something. It's just asking for it. I know that I need to get the green apple so that my stomach will feel better. Like it's calling for it. And there's times where I'm just like, I can't scroll anymore. Yeah. I'm thinking way too much about what other people are doing. You know, maybe I'll need to watch a, a, a comedy movie or something else. You know, like I need to be intentful about what I'm putting in my mind because it will affect how I feel. And I think that's why I want to create. That's, that's freaking beautiful, by the way. That's very true. Um, and it's interesting to hear you say that, too, because I feel like you have, like, a big social media. Like, you're very much a social media person. Yeah. And to kind of, like, say that, too, is, like, very encouraging for people who do consume the media that you put out, too, because it's, like, 
yeah, it's it's so true. Like we can connect to people in other ways in real life, whether also just people who are even dead, like books and things like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, social media is is a very. Remember that day that Instagram got like shut down? Yeah, fucking day. Yeah. <laughs> I re- I didn't realize like how much of an addiction I had until that day. Because just, like, by default, I'd open my phone and I'd just, like, refresh it and be yes. like, where is Instagram? Where I'd feel like shit because I wasn't getting, like, likes or notifications on my phone or messages. Yes. And then I realized, oh, Instagram shut down. It's, like, so crazy. Yeah, like, our phones naturally go to it. Just open the phone, check Instagram, no, a text, Facebook, Twitter. Back. Yes, exactly. You know? Just rotate, yeah. refresh, rotate, refresh. And there's always some kind of, the way the structure is so smart, obviously, because they give you a hit of something, like one like or like whatever, that brings you back to the app. They'll slow feed you the likes. Like if you get 100 likes, they'll only show you a certain amount of them first to keep you coming back. Right. And it's always from the viewers that you want to see it from the most or whatever. Yeah. That's so interesting. I noticed that. Like whenever I just hang out with somebody in real life, their story comes up first. I'm like, how do they know? It's so creepy. <laughs> it's so creepy. I hate it. It's so creepy. Uh, yeah, there was a documentary on Netflix about it. Uh, do you know what it's called? I didn't see it, but I know which one you're talking about. Every time I bring it up, I forget Social it. Dilemma? Social Dilemma. Social Yes. 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 Just, yeah, I think that's what it was. Yeah, because it was just about how it's engineered to just repeat what we want and trigger our feelings. You know, which is weird because on one hand, I feel very grateful for social media. Oh, same. And, and the oh reach God. and what I'm able to achieve with it. It's made my career. Really. Yes. Yeah. Oh, without it, we, we wouldn't be able to do a lot of what we do. But then at the same time, it's getting us addicted. I know. I think that's also something that I noticed the other day, too. I was at the I was with some friends in a group. And I, one of the friends I hadn't seen in like a very long time. And they were like, oh, like I had been texting you on Instagram. Like you didn't respond. And then I explained to them, I was like, oh, well, here's the thing. Like, I, if someone calls me, I always pick up. Notoriously, like, I will always pick up my phone unless I'm in, the, in a movie or, like, something like this. Like, I'm not going to pick up my phone. But I will right. always call that person back in a timely manner. With text messages, it could take me, like, three weeks. Same. Like, and Sometimes I, I'll think I texted somebody back, but I, I don't. Dude, same. I do the same thing. Same thing with Instagram, too, where, like, I, I like, think that I responded, but then I realized, like, I opened it and left it on scene. <laughs> And then you feel so bad about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think that that sometimes like the old school things of doing things like that, like when you think about someone, don't feel like you connected with them because you watched their story. Give them a call. Ask them about how their day went. Yes. I think that's super important. And, and the reason I bring this up is because like when I brought that up to my friend where I was like, oh, like just call me next time. You guys something to say, just call me. He was like, what? Call you? What do you mean? What if it's just like something for five minutes? I'm like, they call me five minutes. Like, yeah, it's super interesting that now it's like backwards. Like calling someone is like this big thing. We need to bring that back. I know. I mean, for me, I, that's the only way you can talk to me. Like, it's like <laughs> 1970. I don't care. It has to be that way. I love that. Good to know. From now on, I'm just gonna call you. <laughs> you should. You should. Honestly. Yeah. Or sending voice notes or or video messages too. Sometimes I do that so they can see my face and be like, hey man. Yeah, oh my gosh, yeah. I because I, text messages, when you have anxiety too, I'm sure you know this, is like you can read a message from someone that's like literally like, okay, and think that they hate you. Right, you think they're saying, okay. Exactly, and really they're saying probably like, oh, okay, like. Yeah, there's that great skit with Key and Peele, the text message. Yeah. Have you seen that? <laughs> He's like, whatever, man, I don't care. Whatever, I don't care. <laughs> so funny, like, yeah, that's so funny. I think also, like, not to bring back dating up, but, like, I think that's a really funny dynamic, too, in dating. Like, people, the whole, like, timing of messages and stuff like that. But if you think back in the day, it's like, man, like, you would just call somebody on the phone and be like, oh, you want to go on another date? It wouldn't be this whole thing where it's like, I can't text someone 
a day after the date because they'll think I'm desperate. Like, what the right. fuck and is that? Right, try a timeout out. Like, oh, they took an hour to get back to me, so I should take at least an hour to get back to them. <laughs> this is why I'm not in the game, bro. I don't even know how to play the game anymore. Like, bro, <laughs> holy shit. <laughs> Just call me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how to do all that. Uh, yeah, because then also when you hear somebody's voice, you feel their vibe. Right. You know? Right. Like it's, so many things can look good on paper, but it's how somebody says it that makes a big difference. I mean, small caveat, but yeah, like, that's why I don't fucks with, like, dating apps and stuff like that. I just, like, I can't, I don't know how to, I don't know, I don't know how to do all that. Yeah. Because, exactly, I can't, I can look at, like, four pictures of someone who, like, looks pretty good, but, like, how am I supposed to know, like, who, like, what if I see them in real life and, like, they have a really funny voice? (laughs) They sound like (laughs) Elmo, like, what am I going to do with that? It's so scary. Or at least, like, if I meet someone in real life, it's like, oh, okay, like, I can tell instantly whether this is a homie or is this someone who, like, I'm interested in, right? It's funny when you meet somebody in real life first, and then you see their social media. (laughs) (laughs) And you're like, wait a minute, this doesn't... (laughs) You want to hear a funny story? Yeah, yeah. So, (laughs) I don't do this anymore because I got in trouble for this. (laughs) But on my dating apps, I... I got really frustrated that people were only, like, matching with me because uh, I had put that I was a filmmaker. And, like, so a lot of people who were, like, wanted, like, filmmakers to do their stuff, they'd be like, oh, my God, like, you make movies. Like, wow, like, holy shit. I don't want that, okay? And so I changed my thing to magician. Because who you don't need shit from a magician. Like, what, they going to ask me to do a card trick? Sure, I'll give you a card trick. You know, like... And as soon as I did that, it was super interesting because I'd meet people who were, like, actually, like, really nice and, like, didn't care I was a magician or whatever. And then I'd give them my Instagram. They'd be like, you're not a magician. <laughs> and the one person actually ghosted me because they were like, I thought you were a magician, but you're a filmmaker. I don't want to date a filmmaker. It's like, <laughs> so funny. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> right? Like, I specifically wanted a magician. I was... It's like I make movie magic or picture magic. <laughs> I think that like the more jobs I can find that people can't ask for shit from or don't have any clout, like I would say a magician. Um, I don't know, a freaking uh, archaeologist maybe. Like it's random <laughs> shit, but the better because that way I don't get the clout people. Those people scare me. Yeah, you know it's funny. Um, when I was first coming up, I thought that my title would be a big reason why I would connect with people. Yeah. You know? But then the more I experienced the the whole clout world of Hollywood, the more I realized it's actually really fun for me to to not hide what I do, but to put it a few layers back. Right? So when somebody says, what do you do? Oh, I do creative stuff. That's it. One layer. You know? Oh, what kind of stuff? Oh, I do video stuff. That's the trick. And that's when you can tell also, when you meet somebody at a party, if they're legit by how hard it is to get them to say the truth. Like, like how many layers you have to go into it. Like, if somebody works on major stuff, they just say, oh, I'm in the movie business. Yeah. They're not, like, super braggadocious about Here's it. Here's like, my IMDb page. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, when somebody really has it, they're like, oh, yeah, I'm in the business. Right. Yeah, yeah, I work on pictures. And I think that something that people do, too, that I really like, that that, like, a lot of people I know who are really good at what they do, they don't feel the need to flex like that. Mm-hmm. And also the people who treat those people when they say things like, oh, I work in the film business, like, as, like, normal people. Like, they don't change up how they act because all of a sudden they, like, realize who the fuck you really are. Like, right. those people are the real ones. Yes. And I think that's really cool. 
But it is rare, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's important to discern the difference, you know? And, uh, yeah, so now when I talk to people, I... And, like, usually, like, me, without knowing they'd do anything. A hundred percent. You know? So that's why it's important to not lead with that, unless they're, like, very specifically for, like, a job reason, asking what it is, you know? But it's so funny, because it works so hard to get the title and to get the clout, and then just to learn that now the best way to connect is to not use it. <laughs> that's so true. You Wait, know? that's so true. Wait, <laughs> my brain is like, wait, that makes sense. <laughs> like, uh, I never bought um, expensive clothes. Mm-hmm. It's never really a thing. Mostly because I couldn't afford it. <laughs> Not going to lie. Not that I didn't want it, but I couldn't afford it. And then um, during this pandemic, you know, I had a really good year. And obviously I was isolated and we couldn't go out a lot. And, uh, and I bought myself some Yeezys. Nice. And it felt really good because I bought them for me. Because I couldn't take them to any parties because there were no parties. Yep. Right? So when I bought them... It's not that, like, having material things is bad and you're a bad person for liking material things. No, no, no. I think it's just important to understand why we're doing something. Right? Materials aren't good. They're not bad. They just are what they are. You can put meaning on something. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, art is meaningless unless somebody finds meaning in it. They're like, oh, I love this painting. Therefore, I'll pay a million dollars for it. Or whatever. You know? Like, there's a reason for it. And when I bought the Yeezys, it was so interesting because back in the day, I would have wanted them to show off at a party. Right. To represent that, like, I made it. And I have money. And I have money. And I'm the cool guy. But when I got them this time, I was actually super juiced because it was like, I don't care if nobody sees them. I see them. They're for me. They're a symbol for me to re- It was a gift for myself for just doing a really good job on a project. Yeah. You know? And it was like, oh, these are for me. I like looking at them. And they feel good. They legitimately are more comfortable. You know? And then I realized, I was like, that's really why you should buy something you if people give me a compliment on them great but it's like i bought them in isolation i was showing them off to me exactly. you know and I, and I think that's important because people can put value on anything right like there's these these paintings called the rothkos have you heard of those Mm-mm. they're just like I, I shit you not like an orange square and they go for like 50 million dollars like a ridiculous amount of money wow and people just put value on them it's like NFTs. Like, people are like, why do people buy NFTs? Blah, 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 blah. And I think that that's exactly it. It's, it's, if they, it's like collecting digital art is still collecting art that's valuable to somebody. Yeah. So I don't think that shit's stupid at all. Like, I think a lot of people are like, I don't get NFTs. Blah, blah, blah. I, I'm, if I have the money, I buy NFTs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, value is subjective. Totally. You know, oil used to be a waste product until we learned how to use them for engines. Yep. Like, back in the day, oil was something you avoided. Ew, let's not buy this land. It's full of oil. Yeah. And then we learned to do something with it. And now, oh, let's value this land because we like the oil or whatever. It's it's always recycling. I like, I love, I'm a big fan of clothes. Like, I love fashion and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, you were swaggy as shit. I remember I saw you at the McDonald's thing. And the McDonald's, the, the, the Disney. McDonald's. <laughs> the McDonald's. <laughs> You saw me at the McDonald's, you're like, yo. At the, at the Disney project. <laughs> and I saw how... Uh, <laughs> That's so funny. Maybe I'm just hungry. <laughs> Freudian slip. Um, when I saw you there, you were dressed so you that I, it made me feel very comfortable. Because I decided to do the same thing there in that I was like, should I like dress up for this or just like go as me? 
Yeah. Like with like my loose shirt and like my bucket hat and this and that. And I was like, I'm going to go as me, me, you know, and like not try to like prove my worthiness like that. Right. You know, like, let me just show up, let me do my job, but let me come comfortable representing me. They obviously hired me for me. That's right. I think that's the thing, like, that's the key with, like, fashion, too. Like, honestly, like, people, there's just, like, this weird phenomenon, like, where everyone wants to buy the clothes off a celebrity. Like, you see, like, like, Kanye West, for example, if he wears something, like, super crazy, like, if he went up wearing, like, a plastic bag or something, like, a lot of people would want to buy that exact same thing. (laughs) Yeah, probably me. I'll be the first one to defend it. This plastic bag is genius. You guys don't understand. <laughs> the easy plastic bag. <laughs> but I think that that's kind of the beauty of fashion, too, in many ways, where it's like, Kanye's just wearing the plastic bag because he fucking wants to wear the plastic bag. And I think that's, like, how you define your own style creatively. Like, when I, like, these clothes are, like, my Aaron clothes, but they're still cool. Like, I don't know. Like, I think people have this, like, weird thing where, where people dress up or whatever. They have this, like, idea where, like, who you dressing up for? And it's, like... Me, bitch. (laughs) I put on these chains for myself. Yes. You know? Because it doesn't matter what you're wearing. If you feel good in it. Exactly. It looks good. Like, you can rock all sweats. If you love the sweats and you feel great in the sweats, you can rock that to a red carpet event. Yeah. And kill it. Yes. You know, if there's there's effort and intention there, you know, it's um, kind of like what we said before about art is kind of selfish. Totally. Right? It's like you're creating for you. And it's just that humans have a lot in common. So if you're truly creating for you, chances are somebody else out there also feels the way you do. So they'll feel like you're creating for them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I find that in lyrics. Like when a song is super specific to that artist about their pain, it it goes out. Like a lot of people feel it because it's so specific. You know, because there's a lot of things that are relatable, a lot of themes that are relatable. Right. A funny line is that any song that talks about tonight is always relatable. <laughs> That's <laughs> so know? true. Like, tonight, we're gonna do it. Yeah. <laughs> There's always something to do tonight. Or like the song, uh, Good Morning, or any song that says Good Morning in it, or Beautiful Morning. It's like it's something that you can repeat over and over. Right. I think the more simple and more true something is in the moment, the more it can connect out there. Kind of like a viral clip. You know, my, my most viral clips are not my best produced ones. They're just the ones that felt really real. That is, like, so... I think that's the key to, like, be, like having something go viral. Because I honestly, like, what my career has been made out of is, like, through those viral videos. Like, that freaking viral music video I made for, like, $2,000 was the one that got me signed for music videos and shit. And then that movie I made when I was 18, like, got me signed for commercials. Yeah. And they're not really well made. Like, not. They're not. But I think that the heart of what those things were saying spoke to a lot of people. Mm. And I think that's what people forget when they go down the pipeline. They start thinking that, like, you can make something really meaningful if you, you fucking shoot it on film or whatever and you freaking hire some really famous person and sure there's some people who can do that but i think most people just want a story that means something to them and you just like you said like if it means something to you chances are it means something to many other people because you can't pretend that yeah absolutely um well first of all i've really enjoyed this conversation thank you for having me yeah this has been a beautiful flow um I'm a big fan of yours, like I said. Uh, you as a creative, uh, you feel very pure. You feel very uh, um, 
genuine in how you create. And that's why I wanted to bring you on. You know, the whole purpose of this podcast is just to share stories of people that love what they do and that are not in the traditional paths, you know, so that hopefully the the fellow weirdos out there (laughs) will realize that like, hey, that there are so many different ways to maximize who you are and, and, and to bring your joy to the world, you know. So I'd like to ask you the final question is for the aspiring creator out there who maybe feels lost and or depressed, but they know they have a sense of empathy and they, and they can feel they're creative on the inside, but they're, they haven't been able to realize it yet or maybe they're afraid to. What are just some words of encouragement or, or wisdom that you would like to share to them? Hmm. Well, if this makes anyone feel better, um, something I realized is that you will never stop feeling lost. You'll just learn to embrace it even more. Because the moments that you feel lost, whether it be in your life or it be in your art, those are the moments of real growth. Because if you weren't really considering what you were doing, you wouldn't feel lost. You would feel present. Um, so I would say if I could, I'm just talking to my younger self, really, or I guess mm-hmm. anyone who's, you know, in the stage. Um, don't be scared of feeling lost. Don't think that be, feeling lost is a bad thing, no matter what people tell you. I was like so lost senior year of high school. I got rejected from basically every single film school. And I just did the only thing I knew how to do, which is make a film that I really believed in. And I was going to stop making movies and become a history teacher or work at the UPS store, whatever it was. And that ended up being the thing that resonated the most with people. So stop trying to make things that you think people want you to make and just make the thing that you want to make. And don't try to pretend to be something else or don't listen to other people so much. Just trust yourself. You know yourself. That's what I would say. <laughs> you dropped some gems for us today, Christina. Yo, I mean, look at... they. I appreciate you doing this, like, freaking to have a podcast to talk to people and, like, put this information out here and, like, really connect is like a beautiful thing and you're a very beautiful person for doing that so thank you oh i appreciate that likewise well thanks for joining and uh i'll see you soon see you soon see you around <laughs> thanks all right thanks everybody okay whoa look they can never keep me down i'm going and if i ever fail just know i'll go again i never quit because i know that every loss may lead to another win i'm going no who the best in this thing tell them yeah that's me tell them who bring the fire say yeah that's me who make it